Well, thanks so much. Good morning, First Baptist Decatur. Great to see you today. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, such a privilege to be with you today and uh, such an honor to be here at First Baptist Decatur. It, it's, I, I hope, I really hope you understand how great of a pastor you have, and I hope you're loving him well. I, I've written books, yes, and I, I don't travel much. This is, this is the one Sunday this year that I won't be uh, preaching at, at our church, and I'll be preaching someplace uh, else. I'm, I'm a pastor by heart, and, and, and there's such a privilege in, in being a pastor, and, and so the relationship that we have, and, and Blake, I, I hope you never uh, grow weary of the well-doing of, of what it means to shepherd people and to pastor people, and the, the, just the privilege of being invited into people's lives and the most important uh, aspects of their lives. And, and yet, as a church, uh, you should never grow weary of, of loving on your pastor. It's, it's, a, it's a weird life. I mean, the ministry is unique in many ways. When's the wedding happen? Right after Sunday morning, right? That's a ministry kind of concept that you had to live in. Uh, years ago at our church in Fort Smith, I got finished on a Sunday morning after seeing everybody and greeting everybody, and I, I got back to my office, and as I was there, our children's pastor came down and said, hey, we got a problem. Could you come down to my office? And I said, sure, and so I went down uh, to his office, and there were several people gathered in that room, and they said, hey, we, uh, we found this in the children's ministry today, and it was this purple vial of, of something, and I said, well, that's kind of odd. What is it? And, and so they opened it up, and this white powder fell out. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of unique. What do, you, what do you all think that is? And, and one of our kind of leaders, one of our deacons kind of said, well, it's not cocaine. To which I... I said, how are you our cocaine expert? That didn't come up in the ordination process. And and so we couldn't figure out what it was. And so I have a buddy that's an ATF. And, and so I, I called my ATF agent. We began to FaceTime and he looked at it and he said, well, that's kind of odd. It's, it's not crack. It's not cocaine. It's not meth. Like, what is this specifically? And so uh, he said, give me a little bit of time. And so I went back to my office. We're trying to figure out what's going on. It seemed pretty serious. You find this in the children's ministry on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and so finally he called me back and I went down to the office where the men were gathered. I said, hey, we, we figured out what it is. It's a pet urn. So not only are you our cocaine expert, you now know what Fido tastes like. Well, back in, back in Fort Smith today, this is Senior Recognition Sunday. And this morning as I was watching uh, the video of the first service, Jenny often asked me, do you watch that because you love Jesus or because you're a control freak? It can be both, right? So I was watching the first service this morning, and we watched the video of, of our graduating seniors, these seniors that were one year old whenever I came uh, to become one of their pastors. And, and as I watched that video, and it, just the reality of, of we've had these children for so long in our care, and we're about to launch them out into the world. If you could tell those graduating seniors one thing today, what would it be? Based on your own experience, based on your faith, based on your knowledge of Jesus and Scripture, what would, what would be the, the one thing, if you could narrow it down to, to just one issue, 
the book of Proverbs, in, in many ways, is, is written in the context of, uh, of kind of a senior appreciation Sunday. It's written from the context of, uh, of a father uh, now writing to, to a child that has that has grown up, and, and, the, and the child has has taught so, the father's taught so many lessons to this child, but but now he's having to narrow them down. The the child is about to launch out. Maybe in a Jewish world, he's he, he's about to turn thirteen and, and officially become a man. Maybe in our context, he's a, about to get his car keys and have a freedom he's never experienced before, or he's about to graduate high school and go out into college, or maybe he's a young man who's about to launch out into his own family. And the, the father is now warning the child of, of all the dangers of the world. And he instructs him to, to be diligent, to work hard, to not be lazy, to not oversleep. He, he warns him about the great dangers of, of wild women, the, the dangers of, of money. But, but in Proverbs chapter 4, he, he narrows down all of that information uh, under one major headline, one major context, that, that if I can do anything for you, this is what you need to do. And I think in many ways, our Heavenly Father today, as we're about to launch out into another work week, launch out into maybe another season of life, launch out into a different chapter, I think He would narrow down His commands for us today. I think He would narrow down His heart for us today with one little verse in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or or, or the way I learned it as a little boy back when we had the the NIV, uh, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the springs of life. The, The springs of life. The old King James would say it this way. For from it flow the the issues of life. While not everything that happens to us is a a response of our heart, at least our response to it is a response of our heart. And and life itself, the attitude that we have, many of the things that we engage in, they all flow from our heart. Uh, The world, society says that that everything's kind of left to chance, that it's just circumstance what happens to it. But but the biblical model here is, is that it's from an overflow of our heart that the issues of life happen. When I was in seminary with Blake, we were in Birmingham and for a short period of time before we were both on staff at Shades Mountain, uh, I worked in the HR department of a corporation down there, just kind of doing some basic data entry. And, and so it was my job to check the records to make sure everything was matching up. And I worked for this saintly old woman who was a great lady. And, but every now and then I would find something in the computer system that just didn't make sense. It, it was out of the ordinary. And I would go into her. And, and sometimes it was a computer error. Sometimes it was a data error of some sort. But, but on occasion, the information in the computer was right. And this lady would just kind of rock back in her chair and close her eyes and she'd go, oh son, he's got some issues. We've all got some issues, don't we? Our life is is full of of issues, of of struggles. We might be able to put on a nice coat on a Sunday morning and put our makeup on properly and, and look pretty good in this room for just about an hour if nobody really looks us in the eye. But the reality is that every single person in this room has some issues. And the father, as he's writing to the son, he's saying there's going to be a lot of things that you're excited about. There's going to be a lot of good things about life, a lot of things that you're going to want to pay attention to in, in many ways. But I want you to understand the essential nature of your heart. 
And, and notice how this cuts against what, uh, what, is, what is our primary concern. We would say, if we were going to write this verse just apart from Jesus, we would say, uh, above all else, keep up your appearances. Keep your persona with all vigilance. Don't let them see your weakness. Don't let them see your flaws. Do everything that you can to project a persona of strength, to act like you have it all together. And if you can do that, people won't take advantage of you. They'll be kind of standoffish from you. They won't come out and attack you in any way. If you can do that, if you can keep up your persona, if you can keep up your Instagram image, everything will be all right. But the Bible says that you and I don't need to worry so much about our image. We need to worry about our hearts. From a biblical concept, the heart now is the central idea of, of who we are. It's the essence of our mindset, of our belief system, of our attitude. It's the very centrality of us. And the father here, as he's about to launch his son out into the world, says, I want you to keep your heart with all vigilance. Vigilance. It's the concept of being a vigilante, right? The NIV will show the primacy of this and say, above all else, more than anything else that you're worried about, and there's a lot of things in life you need to be worried about, but at the top of your priority needs to now be your own heart. You need to watch it in a vigilante kind of way. Imagine. Imagine if you walk in here today and a stranger sits down next to you and and they got a little backpack, and they take that backpack off, and, and you're doing the worship service, and everything is great, and they're kind, and you're kind back to them. And, and at one point, they, they leave to, to go to the restroom, and you don't think a thing about it, and then, and then they come back in. You wouldn't think a thing about it. Nothing, nothing would be going on. But what if last week, at a First Baptist church somewhere in Georgia or Mississippi or southern Alabama, what if a man walked into worship service with a backpack, and he left it, and he left and it exploded. You'd have a different mindset today, wouldn't you? You'd have a different perspective. You'd have a vigilante kind of concept. You'd be paying attention to everything. If we felt as though today that, that we were under attack in some way, we, we would hopefully still gather. The persecuted church would still gather. We, 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 we'd value worship in every way, but, but we'd come in with a different mindset, a, a different perspective, understanding that there is a danger there. You see, uh, whenever we think there is no danger, we relax. We, we get in this case of ease, and we begin to overlook things that, that really don't matter because they're not a threat in any way. But, but what the Father is saying here to the Son is you need to understand that you're under attack. Do you realize that you have an enemy? That, that there is somebody that opposes you? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. There, there's, there's an opposition to your marriage. There is an opposition to raising your children. There is an opposition to having a heart that loves Jesus, that, that worships Jesus. It, it, it shouldn't surprise us in, in any way when one of us falls away. It shouldn't surprise us in any way when one of us strays. It shouldn't surprise us in, in any way when one of us struggles or, or, or fumbles of what's going on. We have an enemy that is standing in opposition to us, and yet so many of us have grown into a sense of ease that we are beginning to overlook, to deny, to not even care about the very things that are attacking the heart of who we are. And what the Father is telling the Son here is, you need to have a perspective of a, of a vigilante. You remember back in, I'm going to date myself here, but you remember back in the year 2000, 
Remember when, when, when many people thought maybe the world might end in Y2K? And all the rapture teachers of the 90s were all excited that Jesus was coming back in the year 2000? Man, that messed me up. I grew up in the church in the 90s, right? I grew up in the true love waits kind of mentality of the 90s. That you got to wait to your perfect woman and then you can have that marital intimacy. But at the exact same time that they were telling me to wait until I got to college to find a wife, they were also saying Jesus was going to return in the year 2000. I was in trouble. I graduated college a year early just so I could get Jenny. We got married, had our honeymoon, and I said, come, Lord Jesus, let's go to heaven right now. I'm ready for the rapture. But do you remember that mindset back then in the year 2000? There were some people who, instead of being discerning, took it to an extreme. We would look at them and go, you're, you're a little odd. You're a little awkward. It's one thing to know that your computer might mess up. It's another thing that you might want to store some cans. It's, it's a whole other thing to ha- have a basement full of Cheerios and AK-47s. <laughs> we would say those are vigilantes. Is there anybody in your life that doesn't know Jesus that looks at you and thinks, he's just a little odd? He's taking this too seriously. He's looking at this in the wrong perspective. That because they don't know Jesus, they, they don't understand that there is an enemy. And because they don't understand that there is an enemy, they have, have, have revolved, resolved themselves to this sense of peace, this sense of ease to where they're overlooking some things that they don't need to overlook. And, and whenever they look at you and they look at the boundaries that you have set around your life, when they look at the priorities that you have within your life, whenever they look at the diligence of organizing your life around a body of believers, of making sure you're present on Sunday morning, of, of driving back even late at night after your kids' ball games to show your children the importance of Sunday morning worship, and corporate worship, whenever they look at your diligence in Bible study, your your diligence in prayer, uh, do you have anybody in your life that might look at you as a vigilante? If the answer is no, if if your lost friends don't think you're a little odd, then then chances are you have overlooked the Father's commands here, and, and you don't understand that your heart is under attack. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Guard your heart above all things. The image that's going on here, the the root word that's going on here gives us us two different extremes. The the picture that's at play is is that of a soldier now guarding a prisoner. And and whenever you think about a soldier guarding a prisoner, there's, uh, there's two primary perspectives that the soldier has to have. One, he has to make sure that the prisoner doesn't escape. He has to keep the prisoner where he is. But the second danger is he has to look outward to make sure that none of the prisoner's friends come and, come and take him. He has to guard the prisoner from outside threats and keep the prisoner in from what's going on. The, the fact that that's the image that's at play is the reason that the ESV here is going to say, keep your heart with all vigilance, and the NIV is going to say, guard your heart. They're two similar words, but they're a little bit different, and I love them both. You've got to do both of these things. First, you have to guard your heart. You have to recognize that there are these outside dangers that that are attacking us. 
And by doing so, you have to constantly be scanning the horizons about threats, about dangers that are out there, and to make sure that outside enemies don't come in and attack your heart and steal your heart away in some ways. If you don't do that, if you're not setting boundaries in your life, if you're not setting boundaries in the midst of your relationship, if you're not setting boundaries for your children, then you are in a lackadaisical kind of mindset, and literally your heart is a sitting duck for the enemy that's going to come in and overtake it. What are your boundaries? If you're a married man or woman in this room, what are the things that you no longer do that you could, what would be fine whenever you were single, but it's just not appropriate now because your allegiances and your loyalties have changed. Because you see the, the rampant dangers of, uh, of affairs, of emotional affairs within this society, and you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that to your children. You don't want to do that to your spouse, to yourself, to your family, to your loved ones. What are the boundaries you set in place? What are the rules that you and your wife have about here's how we operate as a couple? We know we're not going to go outside of that. If you don't have any, if you don't have any boundaries whatsoever, any rules, anything to say, here's how we operate. This is, nobody else has to follow it this way, but, but this is now what we do. If you don't have those in place, what are, your, what are your screen time limitations for your kids, for yourself? If you don't have any filters on your Wi-Fi, if you don't have any rules and regulations for your students of, of how much time they're allowed, if you're not tracking that even for yourself, then you don't understand the dangers of the times in which we live, the, the world in which we live. You, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to make sure that, that this heart that, that Jesus has died for, his heart that he has now placed within you, you've got to make sure that, that it's not being attacked by outside forces, that your affections and your loyalties and your allegiances are, are starting to lean the other way. You have to guard it. If you think that, that you can just come to know Jesus and just stay right there with your passions and your affections all intact without having any discipline about it, without having any concept of boundaries within your own life, it is simply not going to keep on loving Jesus. You've got to guard your heart, for it is under attack as a pastor. There are few things more sorrow-filled for me than to watch a man or woman fall because of the poor choices that they have made. And as they sit in my office as we talk, I begin to hear the regret in their voices. And I understand at no point did they even know they were under attack. They didn't know that they had an enemy that did not want them to love Jesus. They didn't know that they had an enemy that wanted their family to break apart. They did not know the danger. They were literally sitting next to the man with a backpack, never realizing the danger that was there. I really hope you didn't bring a backpack today. If you did, my apologies. But if, if you don't mind, empty that out right now, just so everybody around you feels kind of safe about what's going on. <clears throat> Keep your heart. Guard your heart with all vigilance. But the danger for us is not just that an outside force might come in and attack us. It's not just that an outside force might, might come in and cause us to no longer love Jesus, to, to cause our passions for, for what he is passionate about, for the, for the poor, for the impoverished, to, to, to voice, uh, uh, be a voice for those experiencing injustice. It's not just that outside forces can begin to attack us and, and take those away. We also, if we're not very careful, will begin to give our heart away. 
just through the time and the seasons and the struggles of life, you and I need to keep heart. Years ago, I play golf every Friday morning. It's my spiritual act of duty. And uh, I call it my prayer time. And, and so my church members know, you, you better not die on Wednesday. Because um, I'm not doing your funeral on Friday morning. Uh, and so, uh, I, I mean, you know, I mean, I will, I will sometimes. But... Uh, if it's like lightning out, outside. And, and so if, if it's lightning outside, I don't play golf. So it's either if you've died or I might die, I don't play golf. But the rest of the time I play golf on a Friday morning. And, and we used to, my group, my prayer group there, we used to um, play through this, this man every single Friday morning. He lived on the golf course and, when, and he would walk out of his backyard. He would play hole six and hole seven and then go back in. He was 92 years old and he'd walk. And, and we'd come up to him on the sixth hole and We'd speak to him and wave at him, and, and we'd have this banter back and forth. And, and over time, we began to notice and begin to realize that, that, that he had a persona. He had kind of a shtick about him in that everything was terrible. We began, this is not Christian in any way, but I'm not at my home church right now. We, were, uh, we began to call him Mr. Terrible. It became a game with us. Man, beautiful, sunshiny day, isn't it? Yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. Man, he hit a good drive off the tee box. Yeah, but I can't hit this iron shot. Uh, man, we, we, and so it became a game with us in which we were just trying to see the first person, the first person that could get him to say a positive thing, the rest of the group had to buy that person lunch. It wasn't a wager because we don't do those kind of things, but it was just a deal. And so, uh, and so for weeks we played this game. And I'm a pastor. I know how to manipulate people. And so I really thought... I really thought that I would be the one to be able to draw it out of him, right? And so I began to learn about him and to study him, not in Christian love, but because I wanted lunch. And so I, I began to, and so I just began to ask him about his family and ask him about, and, and no matter what happened, everything was terrible. Now, why is that? I, I think in part, I think in part it, it, it was just a shtick. It was just he knew, here's how I can be funny, here's how I can get attention. I think in part he was just playing a game. But is it also possible that the sorrows of life, the tragedies of living so long that had him experience so much loss, caused him to lose heart? That the vantage point through which he, he now viewed life was one of sadness and sorrows. I think it's one of the great hardships of, of life. The, the, the older you are, the longer you live, the, the bigger your web gets. And the problem with that is the bigger your web of concern gets, the more things that can get caught in it. And, and so my, my circle of concern today is, is, is kind of limited in many ways. I care about my parents, and my friends, and my family, but I, I, I just got two kids and a wife. But as I age a little bit longer, those kids maybe will have kids, and suddenly you got grandkids, and the web of influence gets larger and larger, and we often, we often forget about it, but, but it, it hurts a grandpa when a boy breaks up with a granddaughter. It, it worries a grandma when the grandson's about to head off to college and all the big issues that are there. The longer you live, the wider your web begins to become. And the, the trouble with that is the more things can get caught in it. There's, there's a lot of tragedies and 
and, and sorrows of life. Life hurts in many ways. And yet if you and I aren't diligent, aren't understanding about the sorrows of life, if we're not taking specific steps in order to keep hearts, we'll just slowly begin to give it away. How many people have I buried in my lifetime? Not random people. Not people that I just show up at the funeral home and bury them and, and go back home and it's no big deal. I, I do some of that, no doubt. But how many friends? How many of the people that called me to the church where I'm at? How many of the people who, who, who taught me in school, who taught my Sunday school classes? How, how many people, Blake, how many people will we bury in our lifetime? And, there, and there's a cost to that. There's a pain to that. And, and yet if, if you don't work to keep your heart, life itself will begin to just cause you to give it away. You know what I think is one of the great privileges of a church like this? A, a multi-generational church. Now listen, dear friends. Now I realize I'm preaching this through the vantage point as though I'm just talking to the students here, but, but this verse here applies to every single person in this room, no matter how old you are. This is not just to an 18-year-old. You need to keep your heart. This is to the 82-year-old as well. You need to keep your heart. Because you know what these students need? These students need to rise up in a community with, with older people who can come alongside of them, who understand the pains and the struggles and the sorrows of life, but who have kept their heart in such a way that their passions for Jesus is just as strong. And these students need to hear the, the, the echoes of the chorus of, of the elderly that say, Jesus is trustworthy, Jesus is real, Jesus is true. Even in the pains and the sorrows of life, even in the struggles of life, there were times where I didn't trust him and I now regret it. There are times where I didn't believe him, but he proved himself true and faithful. There needs to be a chorus of the elderly in the midst of this church who can rise up and say, God has been faithful to us in the past. He'll be faithful to us in the present. God has been with us. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. He is real. He is true. He is just. And you can trust him. You can believe him. You can set your life upon him. Now, don't you dare think that this is just a verse to the young. This is a verse just as much to the old who this church needs you. Your time is not up. You have paid a great price. You have done a great sacrifice. In many ways, many of the people who are here today, their faith is dependent upon the foundation of what you have laid, but your time is not done. Until God calls you home, you need to keep heart so you can praise him in the midst of all things. But I don't say that lightly. I, I'm not yelling at you as though somebody that doesn't care or know or understand. I, I don't know what it's like to be 63 or 75. I know what it's like to be 41. Ain't always fun. But you got to keep heart. Because the sorrows and struggles of life will cause you to give it away. Whenever I was a, a senior at Oklahoma Baptist University, I did an internship at the Baptist Medical Center in Oklahoma City, just a January chaplaincy internship. <clears throat> the first place I ever saw somebody die. So many of those images are still stuck in my head. And, and one night I was, I was working, I was on call overnight. I had, a, I, had a re, I had a real chaplain with me, so don't worry. They weren't just casting me, you know, good luck. Here comes the kid. Uh, it wasn't that way. And I was just shadowing him. And, and, and one night at, at 2 a.m., a, a knock on the door, the door opened, and, and the chaplain said, come on, Kevin, we got we to go to the ER. 
And I woke up, washed the sleepy out of my eyes, couldn't figure out why I was in a suit. I was trying to figure out what was going on. Then I remembered where I was. I'm, I'm at the hospital. And we get to the ER, and there had been a, a, a tragic accident. 20-year-old kid had, had been driving too fast late at night, wasn't drunk, wasn't anything like that, just, just driving too fast. And he was hit. His life was hanging in the balance. <clears throat> we sat there. We worked with the family. They, they got him stabilized. They they got him up into ICU, and they were watching him in ICU, and we went up with the family. And, and so 2 o'clock in the morning became 3 o'clock, became 4 o'clock, became 5 o'clock, became 6 o'clock. It, it, it's about 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning when the code blue comes in. And we re- recognized just down the hallway from where we are, we're meeting with that family. The, I'll never forget the, the terror in the parents' eyes. And all the doctors and nurses rushed in and did everything they can, and they try to resuscitate him. I'll, I'll never forget the sound of the body and the electrical shocks that would rise up the table and fall back. Standing there with that father and mother. Watching as that doctor came out to explain that the 20-year-old was gone. We were there with the family. We, we walked them through what was happening. And we finally walked them to the elevator. Now it's 9, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And we walked into the elevator, and we got them on the elevator, and I'll, I'll never forget as the door shut, and they went down to their new life. And now here we were, exhausted, having been up all night. The, the chaplain looked at me, and he said, hey, are you hungry? And I said, yeah, I really am. He said, all right, I, I want us to go one, one place before we go get something to eat. And, and we went down some hallways and went through some doors, and, and we, we busted through this double door, and there it was, this huge window. And, and just on the other side of the window were all the new babies that had been born. He said, Kevin recognized that on the same floor of this hospital, on the same floor as the ICU, is also labor and delivery. He said, never forget whenever you're, whenever you're in a hospital that if you're celebrating with one family, there's another family that's grieving. And yet if you're grieving with one family, there's another family that's celebrating. What was he telling me in that moment? He was saying, Kevin, keep heart. Don't, don't be ruled by the tragedies and the sorrows of life. Keep heart. Find a discipline here that, that whenever you're overwhelmed by the sorrows of life, that you can get away and, and, and begin to interact in some way to, to rejuvenate you, to restore you, to, to remind you about the, the good that's in life. I wonder, what is it that you're doing to keep heart? In part, in part, corporate worship should be that. It, it calls us out of our daily lives and our daily routines where we get to to sing the praises of God, to sing the truths of God, to, to hear the truth of God, to, to gather in a family. If you're celebrating today, you need to uh, go put your arm around somebody who's grieving and you need to weep with them. If you're grieving today, you need to interact with somebody that's celebrating today to be encouraged by what's going on. If, if you're young and full of energy, you need to interact with somebody a little bit wiser than you to, to understand the perspective of life. If, if, if you have a little bit of gray hair in your, in your head, you need to walk by the preschool and remember about the energy and the excitements and the joys that are there. You need to have these tasks, this, this diligence about you in order to keep heart. But these are tough times. It's not just that each of us have issues, that we live in a day and a time and society that has issues. But what does this world need from us today? Does it need our condemnation? No. Their own actions will condemn themselves. Does it need our judgment? No. It's to God who's able to judge. What does it need for us from us today? It needs men and women 
who believe in the truth and the value of Jesus Christ, whose heart is beating for God's glory and the good of other people, who are passionate about what's going on, who are not ruled by the circumstances of their moment, who are not ruled by what the news media says of the day, but instead who is ruled by the truth of who God is, the plan that Jesus has, where we're going, what is the hope, what is the future, the very glory of Jesus Christ himself. This world needs men and women who hearts beat passionately for who Jesus Christ is. Is that you today? Is that you today? Uh, my guess is every single person in this room would say just a little bit, Kevin, that's not quite where I want to be. It, it, I'm not quite there. Uh, the sorrows of this life, the struggles of this life have brought me down. I, I have been attacked by outsiders. I, I let my guard down and I didn't mean to. I, I, I didn't want to. And in many ways, some of us are, are like David today. Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation and the, the goodness of God, the greatness of God is that he can redeem us in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. But for others of us, we have just allowed the worries and concerns of our lives to cause us to give our heart away. Well, Jesus wants to give us our heart back. He wants to place his heart within us and give us a hope, a trust, and reality of what is going to come next. Aren't you grateful today? Aren't you grateful for the privilege and the honor and the pleasure to sing, I am forgiven? to hear the words of majesty to God, to know that even though we don't deserve it in any way whatsoever, we have been entered into the kingdom of God himself. And a day is going to come in which Jesus is going to make all things right. So no matter what we're going through today, no matter what struggle we might have in this moment, we can find hope in knowing that God will use every single circumstance in our life for his glory and for our good. But aren't you grateful today that all the good doesn't await till eternity? But God, in his amazing, miraculous ways, will sprinkle us on occasion with the goodness of who he is, the, the glories of, of a little time off work, the glories of a newborn baby and all the hope and the potential that's there, the, the glories of a, of a marriage to remind ourselves that we are not alone in this world, the glories of a Sunday morning where we can gather in this room and remember, God is for us, he loves us, and he is not done with us yet. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Most gracious, heavenly Father, be with these people. Be with this church. For Father, in the same way that we all have our own individual hearts, this church has a heart. Father, let them guard it. Guard it from heresy, guard it from uh, foolish kind of discussions, guard it from foolish infightings, guard it from the outside attacks. But, oh, Father, also allow this people to keep their hearts, to keep a heart that is alive, that is passionate for who you are and what you're about, to remember that our call here is to make disciples, that our call here is to serve you, our call here is to love you, to, to make you known to this world, all starting here in Decatur. Father, how much I have an affection for these people just because of their love for Blake and how I've watched them from afar. My prayer pastorally for them is that you will empower them to not only guard their hearts, but to keep their hearts all for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.